chapter 12. John chapter 12. Tonight, we want to take the subject from this morning of delighting in the Lord and focusing it a little tighter on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not just the Lord God, Jehovah, but the Lord God, Jehovah, in the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 12. We are in the last week of our Lord's life in John chapter 12. And so we come to verse 20, and I want to read to you about six verses. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servants be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. The first two verses are the most precious, that some Greeks had come up for the feast of the Passover, and in our Lord's last week approached Philip and asked him with great respect, Sir, we would see Jesus. They didn't want to just lay their eyes on him. They wanted to have an audience with him. They wanted to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and hear of him and make his personal acquaintance. Philip, being surprised at this request from Greeks, because the Lord had told him, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, comes and tells Andrew, wait a minute, what do I do? I've got Gentiles. These are our cousins, brethren. These are our cousins. I've got Gentiles that want to see the Lord, and you know what the Lord's told us. And so Andrew and Philip go together to ask the Lord about these Greeks that want to see him. And he makes this wonderful prophecy that a corn of wheat, a single kernel of wheat, remains alone until it's put in the ground to die. But if you put it in the ground to die, it brings forth like a thousandfold. It's, it's enormous in, in what, grain, what kernels of grain are able to do in multiplying themselves. And it's by the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross that his gospel went forth. It's part of the mystery of godliness. It went forth into all the world and called Gentiles out, brothers and sisters. Amen. And that includes us. Amen. And these were our cousins who weren't waiting for that event. But the Lord had moved them enough to come up for the feast of the Passover. They weren't interested in the Lamb, and they weren't interested in the temple. They had limited privileges there anyway because they were Gentiles. They were looking for the object of that feast, the person of the Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Sir, we would see Jesus, and that ought to be the desire of our hearts. There were men like the eunuch that came all the way from Ethiopia, a black, castrated Gentile that came to worship in Jerusalem. 
there were some Gentiles that were just the tip, the tiniest tip of the iceberg of all the Gentiles that were going to be converted and called by the gospel of Christ to the obedience of his son, Jesus. And here's an example of them, some Greeks at the feast who are asking to see Jesus. Now, brethren, are you kin to these Greeks or not? Do you want to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Not just to lay eyes on him, but to know of him, to have audience with him, to have him draw nigh to you, to have him teach you, to walk with him, to have fellowship with him. These Greeks wanted that, and they came, confusing the disciples with their request, but the Lord Jesus answered so well with a prophecy that when I die, when I'm planted in the ground, part of the great mystery of godliness is going to be the great ingathering of the Gentiles. But when we see this little event, and this is a, these are precious words in the Bible, Sir, we would see Jesus. They didn't seem to be very interested in Philip, did they? They didn't ask to see Peter, did they? They didn't ask to see the twelve. They wanted to see Jesus. And so when we come together, it ought not to be to see anything but the Lord Jesus Christ because he is all the glory of Emmanuel's land, Amen. as we sing in one of our songs. And these Greeks are our cousins, and I hope you love them, and I hope you love the Lord's answer, because that, that little prophecy about him being planted in the ground and dying is, is what brought us in. Right. It's because by his death, he broke down the middle wall of partition that existed between Jews and Gentiles, uniting both bodies into one, and we are part of that general assembly now. Fellow citizens with, with the saints, and part of the family of God and the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Let's look in our Bibles at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So many, so many want to talk about St. Matthew and St. Mark, St. Peter, and all the other apostles, but those Greeks knew what to look for. And they had nothing except one little short word of respect for Philip and said, we want to see Jesus Christ. And I hope that that can be our desire and, and our goal. And that's what we need to pray for. And that's what we need to aim for. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Here's our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. We know the village and we know the woman. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. Praise the Lord for Mary. And shame on Martha, and shame on anyone in here who is anything like Martha. And I should not have to say very much, because I just pushed the edge of my envelope with you women and with all of you the last three Sunday mornings, warning you about wasting your time caring about the insignificant, carnal, worldly, all-going-to-hell aspects of your children. 
anything you can put in their body, anything you can see with your eyes is all going to hell. God is going to burn it all up, and it doesn't matter. There is one thing needful, and this chapter tells us what it is. One thing needful, and that's to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And a, a holy mother, a great mother, a woman that deserves to be praised, is not one that feeds or clothes her children as a first concern. It's one who teaches her children about the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is a great woman, and there's precious few of them. And every one of you women ought to re read this passage and realize that there is one thing that is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. And the other things that mothers do are insignificant and pale, and they're all going to hell. All of our bodies are going to be going to just melt away into dust. Right. All those things that we get so caught up in, any accomplishment that we have in this life is going to disappear, and we will stand naked before God, and all that will matter is that we know the Lord Jesus Christ and that he knows us. And that's what a mother ought to be teaching her children above all else. Everything else can be sacrificed, and you be a holy woman before God if this needful thing is kept first. Now, that applies to, women, to men as well. It applies to both of us. Here's a situation where we have Martha who takes Jesus into her house but gets all caught up in the folly of entertaining him. See, he considered it that way. He considered, you're careful and worried about all this stuff, Martha. Mary has chosen the needful part. She's done what is good. You haven't. And I'm not going to tell Mary to help you. Why would I want to interrupt Mary, who's doing what is good, to waste her time with you, who wants to get all caught up in the affairs of this life? I'm not going to do it. She's chosen the better part, and she's going to stay right there. In fact, I like where she is, sitting at the feet of Jesus, wanting to hear from him. This is the difference between a carnally-minded person and a spiritually-minded person. Yeah. A carnally-minded Christian thinks that they're not carnally-minded because they're not worshiping Buddha, St. Christopher is not on the dash of their car, and they don't have a crucifix around their neck. But if you are caught up in the foolish details of your life, your family's life, and your children's life, I mean caught up in them, that occupies the vast majority of your time and just consumes you, and you think they're important, that means you're caught up and you're just like Martha. Where's the holy women who spend lots of time in prayer for their children, prayer with their children, and showing their children that they love Christ more than anything else. That's what's important. And this is a great little illustration for us here as Jesus meets these two sisters, one having a different attitude than the other. Martha was cumbered. That means to be weighed down and burdened with... And, and listen, everyone, we all have responsibilities. We all have many responsibilities. But where's your priority? Are they necessary evils to you? Or, they do, or, or do they fascinate you? Do these little goofy details of life fascinate you or are they necessary evils and so you minimize them as much as possible and sacrifice as much as you can because this is what's needful and this is what's good. Amen. This is what we need to do if we are to train godly Jesus Christ loving children and that's the most important goal of every parent. And I spent the last three Sunday mornings on that. Amen. So I shouldn't need to say anything more about it. I've just said it. Martha was cumbered about much serving and came and asked the Lord to get Mary away from his feet 
to go and help her. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. Martha, Martha, you're messed up. You're, you're twisted, Martha. You are so cumbered and worried about all these things. Mary has her heart in the right place. Right. Mary just wants to sit there because Mary knows that as soon as we need a meal, I can say, Lord, bless this food and we can eat. Could Jesus do that? Yes. And there would have been 12 baskets full left over to try to put in the pantry and the refrigerator. But Martha was all worried about that meal. And here we go worrying about our children in all the aspects that don't matter. Because what matters the most are our souls and our children's souls in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. She sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. When a woman sits at the feet of a man, is that a pretty reverential position? Is she eagerly listening to every word that is coming out of that man? Can you visualize the picture that the Lord wants you to visualize? This Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, devouring his every word that came from him. And that is a good woman. That is a good woman. Forget Martha. She didn't choose the good thing. She didn't understand life. She didn't understand the Lord. She didn't understand things. She wasn't a virtuous woman in this particular illustration. It was Mary that made the right choice. And may the Lord God bless each one of us to know as we walk through life, this can go away. This I don't need to spend as much time on as I have been spending because I need to spend more time on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary hath chosen that good part. There's one needful thing that we all need. Do you know what that is? To walk with Jesus Christ of Nazareth and to hear his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This morning, we looked at delighting in the Lord. Tonight, we're looking at delighting in Jesus. Some Greeks, our cousins, delighted in Jesus. Mary delighted in Jesus. And here's what Paul had to say to the church at Corinth. Now, these are harsh words. These words were not uttered on Mars Hill to pagan philosophers. These words were not uttered to the other inmates in the prison in Philippi. These words were not uttered to the goldsmiths and coppersmiths in Ephesus who made all the little statues to Diana. These words were uttered to the church at Corinth. Verse 22, as he closes out this epistle of 1 Corinthians, he has given his salutation in verse 21, and he says in verse 22, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. The word anathema is a word meaning let him be damned, let him be cursed. Anathema means to be cursed, and maranatha is the coming of the Lord. Let him be cursed at the coming of the Lord if a man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this to the church at Corinth, because in the church at Corinth, there were members that were caught up in strife, in division, in envy, in preacher factions, in denying the resurrection of the dead, in trying to cover a sin of fornication that even Gentiles wouldn't accept, that it weren't giving to the saints, that were abusing the Lord's Supper, and it had their lack of love for the Lord Jesus Christ had caused them to wreak havoc in the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul summarized the whole epistle in one sentence, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, 
let him be anathema, maranatha. That is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we had some Greeks that loved the Lord Jesus, and they came to see him. We had Mary that sat at his feet. She loved him. But we had a church here that had members in it that were all caught up in preacher factions and all sorts of other personal division and strife and being childish. Paul called them children. He called them carnal. He called them babes. They were heretics because they didn't love the Lord Jesus Christ enough. This is not a warning to pagans outside the church. This is a warning to the church itself because the cure for a church is a greater love of Christ because it's the love of Christ that constrains us and presses us to want to press in that straight gate narrow way. It's the love of Christ that propels us into godliness. And when that slips, other things are going to slip in your life. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Those are harsh words. Those are godly words. Those are inspired words. And I say them to you. There is little choice in this matter. And why would we even want to make a choice? I hope that we want to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to seek him like Mary did and like our cousins the Greeks did in looking for Jesus at the Passover. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. The issue is this. How much time and attention, how much love and affection, how much reading and praying, how much singing and talking do we do about the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the issue. You want to know where I'm headed? It's not deep. It's not difficult. But how much do you talk and pray and sing and read and meditate about the Lord Jesus Christ? How much do you love him? How much time do you have for him? Far most important thing in the world. As soon as you meet him, you'll understand what I've been trying to tell you for so long. And as soon as we meet him, I'll understand what I've been trying to tell you for so long. Because none of us truly understand as thoroughly as we should understand of what it's going to be like to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's meet him now. Let's meet him now. He's walking among his seven golden candlesticks tonight. He's here tonight. And I want to tell you something. Every thought and intent of your heart is naked and opened unto him with whom we have to do. Ephesians, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that. He sees everything clearly. He's able to divide between our soul and our spirit, and he knows how much we love him. And so I exhort you as his ambassador to love him with all of your heart right now, to seek him, to want to sit at his feet and to hear him, and to love him, lest an anathema be pronounced upon you at his coming. In Ephesians 6.24, the same apostle closed out this epistle in a different way, but saying the same thing. Ephesians 6.24, the last verse of the book of Ephesians, Great be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Now see, that's a positive statement. May the grace of God be upon and around and through and in those that love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely. The other one was, if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely, let him be anathema, maranatha. They both go together. One's positive, one's negative. Both of them tell us that we ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you tonight, you ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that you want to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that you do. 
And I'm thankful for the brother that got up and gave the testimony that when looking inside, he sees there a love of Christ. Because that is a gift of heaven. That is a gift of grace. Because without God changing your heart and giving you a new man, there would be no love of Christ. He was foolishness to the Greeks, and he was a stumbling block to the Jews. But he's the power and wisdom of God to us. And that is wonderful. He is the power of God. We sang tonight, number 146, by the request of a young man who wanted to hear about, he tore the bars away, our Lord Jesus Christ. The dark domain couldn't keep him. He rose in triumph over death and the grave because of his power and his wisdom. He was born of a virgin, and he sits at the right hand of God, dictating this universe and all the principalities and powers that are under him. The, the Lord God has made that difference in our lives. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, are there examples in the Bible? Are there some examples in the Bible to provoke us of individuals that delighted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we just had a couple? Our cousins, the Greeks, Mary, our sister, the church at Ephesus, and the faithful that were at Corinth. But here's another one. I want to tell you about the greatest man that was born of women. And I want to tell you how early he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that we have a brother that while he was still in his mother's womb could do what David did when David was 35. Are you with me? He leaped for joy. He didn't even have a linen ephod on. He didn't have anything on, brethren. And John the Baptist was leaping for joy in his mother's womb because the newly conceived Christ was in his presence. Wow. Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. And Mary arose in those days. Gabriel has just told her she's to have the son of David, the son of God. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. How would she have saluted Elizabeth? Can we wait? Can we take a couple stabs in the dark tonight? The Lord be with thee. The Lord bless thee. Let the Lord be magnified. Three salutations from the Old Testament. And she saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation, brother, heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Brethren, this little event is told us in the Bible for you to rejoice in it at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is this Savior worthy of leaping and dancing and rejoicing in his presence? He's newly conceived. And Mary's in the presence of John the Baptist, who's a few months older than he is, and that babe leaped 
in, in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth recognized it. She was filled with the Holy Ghost and praises the Lord. And she commends Mary for having believed because she had a husband who didn't. And they were having to use a lot of writing pads between the two of them to communicate because her husband hadn't believed what the angel had told him. Are you all with me on, on that? But Mary did believe. John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb. When was the last time you leaped for joy, e either in your soul or in your body, because of your love for Christ and how great he is, how glorious he is, what he's done for you, the incredible works that he has done, the incredible works that are recorded in the pages of the Gospels, in the incredible things he's done in heaven. How about when I preach to you about the ascension of our Lord? Did that move you at all? Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is great and greatly to be praised. When he came into heaven, all the crowns are landing at his feet. The clatter is great. The angel choir strikes up. All the redeemed start singing his praise. And he comes and approaches the Lord God on his throne. Brethren, that is what heaven is like. That's what we're going to spend eternity doing. And we ought to be seeking him now. Like our Greek brethren did. John the Baptist just has him come into the room, into the house, it said, and leaps for joy because he had one purpose in life and that was to announce his cousin the lord jesus christ was the son of god and the lamb of god right. that taketh away the sin of the world and for the rest of his life it was there is the great one i am nothing i must decrease he must increase is that true of you Amen. everything about your life must decrease and everything about the lord jesus christ must increase right. that was john the baptist Behold the Lamb of God. I am not worthy to stoop and to undo the latchet of his shoe. There is one coming after me that is mightier and greater than I am, and I am not worthy to get down at his shoe level and untie his shoes. He did not want to baptize the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus told him to, and he obeyed. And he saw heaven opened, and he knew that the only testimony he'd had in his life all 30 of his years that there was one coming after him and that he ought to be a voice in the wilderness for that son of God was being fulfilled at that very moment when he saw heaven opened and the spirit of God descending upon his cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew then that his purpose was over. And shortly thereafter, he was out of this world. One purpose, to announce the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a good job. And every one, of you, every one of you parents has a good job. It's to tell your children about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Every one of you brethren have a good job. It's to remind me about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're in an assembly for a reason. Yes. To remind each other about the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Right. That we might love him more and never forget him and never slip away from our total commitment and dedication to him. Maybe. Maybe if there was the certain threat of one of us being a martyr this coming week, maybe you'd all appreciate talking about the Lord Jesus Christ just a little bit more. The Lord's chosen to put us into a prosperous and peaceful generation, and sometimes it's to our detriment. But may the Lord save us from that and yeah. cause us to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. May we leap like John did. Come over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. 
I just told you about John the Baptist. Let me tell you now about John the Apostle. John the Apostle. Did he have any selfishness in him? Yes, he did. There was one, there was one choice seat. There was one choice seat whenever they ate, and where did he want to be? He wanted to be with his Savior and close at hand. And he writes about it in his own epistle, by the grace of God. Do you know that John wrote what words the Holy Spirit gave to him? And when he's writing his own epistle, God the Holy Spirit lets him write four times that he was the disciple that Jesus loved, and twice that he's the one that got to lay against the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, th do you think John was embarrassed writing about that? To want to be that close to another man? John loved it. Amen. He gets over there to his epistle, and he takes off in the first verse, that which we have seen with our eyes, which our hands have handled of the word of life. Amen. John loved the fact that he had been so close to the Lord Jesus Christ, he had been able to embrace him at will. Our hands have handled him. John chapter 13 and verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John slips it in there. I told you about John the Baptist, but I want you to know about John the Apostle. Now tonight, tonight by the grace of God, I hope you're thinking, I want to be like those Greeks. Sir, we would see Jesus. I want to be like Mary. I want to be like John the Baptist where I leap at just the mention of the praise of the Lord in, in, the, in the presence of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about being like John the Apostle who wanted to be closest to him. And I wasn't accusing him of any sin when I said selfishness, but he was selfish enough in his love that he wanted to be next to the Savior. He wasn't offering that up easily. He wanted to be there next to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 21. It's, it's interesting that this is mentioned several times in the Gospel of John. John chapter 21 and verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Here's John writing a little commentary about himself in the middle of another discussion and elaborates on who he is by the one that Jesus loved and was the one laying on his bosom and was the one closest to hand to ask who it is that's going to betray you. That was John the Apostle. Right. Now by the grace of God, I am using the scriptures to see if I can find in your hearts a desire to be like one or all of these characters. The Lord Jesus Christ is at hand. By the presence of his Holy Spirit, he dwells with us. He dwells in us. He's not just in heaven. He dwells with us by his Spirit. He will come and make his abode with you. He is at the door. He is knocking. Invite him in to sup with you. In your heart, right now, tell the Lord Jesus Christ that you love him and that you want him with you, walking with you, fellowshipping with you, supping with you. He will come to you. He begs to come to his children. That Revelation 3.20 is never to be bandied about to anyone, but the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and those who are blood-bought, redeemed, elect children of God, who've been baptized by a profession of faith, and who are in a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can have Revelation 3.20. And until you're in that condition, that verse is not for you. That verse is for us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any man will hear my voice, and I'm preaching to you tonight about him, I am his representative, I'm his ambassador. He stands at the door and knocks on an individual basis. I hope you want to be like some of these great characters. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What do you know about the Apostle Paul? Did his life change on a certain road, a certain highway, going up out of Jerusalem to Damascus, into Syria? There was only one being that he loved after that. And he said, though I, don't, I no longer know him in the flesh, he's everything to me. The Apostle Paul is filled with the love of Christ. If you were to go into your concordance and look up how many times the words Lord Jesus Christ occur in all of his epistles, if you were an English teacher, what would you write all over those papers? Redundant. 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 Because he drops that name in almost every sentence. The man was full of a love for the Lord Jesus Christ because he knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had reached down and turned him completely around from persecuting him to being his greatest apostle. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Yeah. Here's what he had to say about Christ. You know the verse well. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is a Bible church. That is a church that we want. Now, that does not mean that every single sermon is filled up with examples about Jesus Christ like I'm speaking right this very minute. But all of it must be brought back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single assembly we have must be brought back to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there are things in here, like 1 Corinthians 7, where the apostle preaches about marriage. But it's always brought back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about 1 Corinthians 7. Why does he think that it's better if you can handle it and in certain circumstances to be single so that you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ better? Right. When he talks about how you qualify a spouse, how do you qualify them? Those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what subject came up that Paul was dealing with. The central figure was the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he says, I determined, I made a choice that the only thing and what, what everything would turn to and point to is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what he said in Galatians 6.14, don't you? But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should get excited or boast or triumph or delight in anything but the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we take this morning's preaching of delighting in the Lord, and we apply it specifically to Jesus of Nazareth. God forbid that we should delight or glory or praise or rejoice in anything but the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. And that is a central theme of our church, it should be. And that should be the central theme of our homes, and it should be the central theme of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That we would be like those Greeks and like Mary and like John the Baptist. 
and like John the Apostle, and like the Apostle Paul. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The great conversion of the Thessalonians to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says about them. Verses 9 and 10. As Paul went around and met other believers in other places, they all knew about the Thessalonian saints. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Everywhere we go, they tell us the effect that we had in the city of Thessalonica on you believers. And here is the, is the final verse of this first chapter describing their character. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. True saints, a true, a true church, is waiting for his Son from heaven. Do you know that churches today get all distracted with all sort of activity? Building programs, missions programs. But when we come to the churches of the New Testament, they're like this church. They're waiting for his Son from heaven. Their lives are geared around the fact that we ought to be living in such a way, talking in such a way, that we're preparing ourselves for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what was true at Thessalonica. And that's what ought to be true of us. We're waiting for his Son from heaven. What kind of waiting? Terrified waiting or joyful waiting? Excited waiting? Anticipated waiting? Looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1. In the same verse, we looked at 1 Thessalonians 1. Now look at 2 Thessalonians 1. Is our church like the Thessalonians? Are we waiting for Jesus Christ from heaven? Or are we just enjoying our Christianity along with the whole lot of the world? These people turn from their idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That should be an, excited, that should be an exciting event to the heart and soul of a true believer. Look at Second Thessalonians 1.10. It has just described the flaming fire that is coming on all them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, and about the everlasting destruction that they're going to receive in verse 9. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Notice there's the Apostle Paul teaching that faith is the evidence that you will be in heaven someday. That verse is very plain in stating that faith is not a condition, it's an evidence that you will be in heaven someday, but I want you to notice the fact that what will believers do when they see the Lord Jesus Christ? True believers. What's the word in this place? They will admire him. He will be admired in all of them that believe in that day. Do you admire him today? How in the world will you admire him in that day if you don't admire him today? We ought to be admiring him now. Because if you've truly been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be admiring him. There's everything admirable, admirable about him. He's infinitely perfect in every way that you measure him or look at him. This is, this is an event that's coming. Do you admire him now? 
Or is he just a theological thought to you? Is he just something that we talk about on Sundays? Is it just a name that you can say? Is it some verses that you can quote? Or do we know the Son of God and do we love him? 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now Peter wrote to some scattered Jews. The strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia in that first verse of the first chapter of 1 Peter. And he comes down and he describes these people. And I, re I read this verse to you on Wednesday evening in another context. But look at it tonight, verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye love. Now, Peter could write that way because Peter had seen him. Peter had seen him and loved him because he needed the love of Christ, and he loved Christ for his forgiveness. Jesus forgave Peter. Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus converted Peter. And Jesus strengthened Peter. And Jesus commissioned Peter to go do his work. Peter saw Jesus. Peter touched Jesus. But this is what Peter has to say about the saints that he was writing to, because this is true biblical faith, and this is how we want to measure our church and our families and our souls, whom having not seen, ye love. Though now ye see him not, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What can I add to those words? Whom having not seen, ye love. Even though you haven't seen him, you love the Lord Jesus Christ. In whom, though not having seen him, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That is the measure of true Christian faith. Just a historical description of what saints were like in the Bible. Right. The purpose is for every one of you to examine your hearts and your souls. Am I like that? Do I love Jesus Christ like that? Am I like the Greeks who wanted to see Jesus? Right. When I come to an assembly, am I looking to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ? When I dive into the Word of God, am I looking forward to seeing more about Him of whom the Scripture declares and shows us? Am I like Mary who wants to sit at His feet and hear His Word? Am I like John the Baptist that leaps and dances like David of old at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I like John that wants intimate, personal fellowship with him? Am I like these saints here who never saw the Lord Jesus, but they rejoiced with joy unspeakable and full of glory? All of their excitement, all of their joy, all of their thrill, all of their triumph was in the fact that they knew the Lord Jesus Christ, though they had never seen him. This is the measure of true godly faith. And if we're short of it, we're short. This is, what, this is how we want to be measured, is to fulfill that eighth verse of 1 Peter chapter 1. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Though ye haven't seen him, you believe everything that is written about him, so that with the eyes of faith you do see him, and you rejoice in everything that you've been taught about him. Unspeakable joy. Joy that you can't measure. Now listen, brethren, if you don't have that, that means we've got to go home and confess our sins, right. and we've got to beg him to come to us that way, and he will. 
the reason you have lost some of that is because it has not been a priority in your life. You have let other things become the priority. That unspeakable joy and full of glory is available to every child of God because it's what God intends for his children to be joint heirs with Christ, with him, of God, and to, to have an abundant life with Jesus Christ dwelling with you by his spirit. That is the goal for every child of God by our Father in heaven. And the reason is we cut off the relationship by quenching and grieving that spirit by which Jesus dwells with us by becoming too enamored with this world, too distracted by our busyness, too noisy with all the things going on in our lives. And we do not take enough time. We are cumbered and we don't want to admit it. We are not like Mary and we don't want to admit it. We must take time, quiet time, to sit and to meditate and to find the Lord Jesus Christ in these pages by faith. And he will come to us. And we can rejoice with joy unspeakable and be full of glory, Amen. though we have never seen him in the flesh. This is why I'm preaching this. It's for you to go home and search your souls and be searching them right now. Am I rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory? Now, that's a lot of joy. When it's joy unspeakable, that's a lot of joy. And being full of glory is not just a little bit. You're full of it. And if we're short, like I've already said, we're short. We've got a problem. First Peter 2, 7. Look at these same saints. First Peter 2, 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe. Now, these believers believe with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And here it says, unto you, therefore, which believe. He is precious. The Lord Jesus Christ is precious to every true believer. So precious, it fills them with unspeakable joy and fills them with glory. What happens? What happens? Let me show you. Turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 24. I know the context of Matthew 24, so I don't need emails reminding me, and none of you would do that. I'm just giving you a little break, of, a little mental break when I say that. I don't need any emails about the context of Matthew 24. I know that this is a warning about the destruction of Jerusalem. But I want you to notice a connection here in verse 12. Matthew 24, 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. My whole purpose is to teach and preach tonight the love of Jesus Christ. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. If there has ever been a generation where the love of iniquity was abounding, even in the churches of Christ, it's this one. Who can read and tell me about another one that's as bad as this generation within the churches of Christ? Iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. Those who once loved the Savior no longer love him as much. They have lost their first love and it becomes not an individual church problem, but a widespread epidemic. And it is a widespread epidemic in these times because men have become lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And yes, I said that this morning, but we live in perilous times. Perilous times require extreme measures. And we, do, we are not extreme enough. Perilous times require extreme measures. If it was any other sort of peril, you'd be going to all sort of extreme measure. If you were warned that we were going to be under aerial assault, 
with bombings in the city of Greenville, South Carolina. All of you would be building your little bunkers in various places or trying to run somewhere else, taking extreme measures to protect yourselves, but that wouldn't even be a peril. In comparison, listen, if somebody wants to blast me to heaven a little sooner than ordinary, so be it. But a danger that the Bible describes, because he says, don't fear them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But look at the perils that he does warn us about, and that's losing our first love. And there's a reason for it, brethren, because iniquity is abounding in our generation. And it's just beating down our senses and our sensibilities about the Lord Jesus Christ. The temptations are enormous everywhere. Hardly anyone else loves Christ the way they once did. There are very few that live the lives of martyrs. And because we don't see much of that, and because we see so much iniquity, and men apparently getting away with iniquity, we think there is no profit in loving the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of many waxes cold. And we cannot let that happen in our church, in our families, and in our souls. Amen. And it really starts in reverse order. Right. We take care of our souls, we take care of our families, and our church will love the Lord Jesus Christ as we should. What should you do? I'll have much more to say on this subject. I'll have more to say. The Apostle Paul says there's a crown of righteousness waiting those that love is appearing. Do you think about his appearing? Are you looking for him coming? Do you get up every day and say, Lord, I wish you'd come burn up the place that I worked at and take me home and get me out of here. Now that's a change in perspective. Young men seldom have it. Only a, only a young man with great wisdom can have that perspective. Every year that we get older, we think more and more that way. Burn the whole thing up and get me out of here. It's all a bunch of pain and trouble. Solomon learned that. So we want to love his appearing. But don't just hate the world. Don't just hate your frustration. That's not good enough. It's to love his appearing. It's to love the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Are you looking for his appearing? The saints of God look for it. They wait for it. We, you need to examine yourself. You need to talk about him to others. When was the last time you just went away? I don't care whether it was the deck, a closet, or in your car. With the word of God, just to read it and to delight in it, in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. When was the last time you sang to yourself? Now, maybe you don't get two to four hours every day with the house empty. Do you sing to yourself at all? Do you take up a hymnal and just look at a song, say the words, sing the words, because you love Jesus Christ so much? The, the, I tried to give you a few minutes on Wednesday evening about the importance of singing, not for music to move your soul, because that isn't anything of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about singing praise the Lord Jesus Christ, and that will move your soul. And David, the man who loved God so much and leaped with all his might, was a man that loved music, and he loved using that music to the glory of God. Do you listen to godly music? Do you love a song that praises the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. I can still tell you, brethren, that it's now been four years, and unless I was in some place where I couldn't avoid it, not one bar, not one bar of music that was not dedicated hymnology, a song, or a spiritual song. Not by my choice. I don't need any of that garbage noise going in my ears. Amen. I know the power of singing praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to be doing it for eternity. I like to practice now. And doesn't it move your soul sometimes? 
we need to examine ourselves. If I was a Greek going up from Bethsaida to Jerusalem, would I ask to see Jesus? Would that be the most important mission to be in the big city, the big capital city of Jerusalem? The most important object was to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the disciples got that queasy look on their face that I had asked a question that shouldn't have been asked, would I still pursue the Lord Jesus Christ? Would I be merry that even though my sister is twisted, even though my sister is all occupied with the things of this life, so there's enormous peer pressure on me not to be so spiritually minded, would I be like Mary, who would sit and stay at the feet of Jesus, even though everyone else might want to be in the kitchen rattling around wasting their time. You're going to have to apply that. If you don't have the wisdom to apply it, you don't have any wisdom. Right. You don't need me to apply that. Everything in your life is unimportant relative to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you make a division of all your time to put the Lord Jesus Christ first. You are able to do that. It is not a lack of understanding. It is a lack of conviction and love of Christ that gives you a problem. You do not understand the importance of loving Jesus Christ. Our purpose tonight was simply to ask ourselves, how do I measure up against the examples the Bible gives of the love of Christ? Do I love him as much as I should? Lord, forgive me, for I have not loved you as I should. And come to me with the power of your Holy Spirit and quicken my affections for you and walk with me and sup with me and have fellowship with me and take away the love that I have for this carnal world and fill it, fill my soul instead with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. When you meet him, you'll wish that this sermon had taken more effect. Yeah. When you meet him, you'll understand that everything in this life is utter folly. And for those of you that have lived a few years, you're already learning that. It's vanity and vexation of spirit. There's only one thing that can satisfy the soul of a child of God, and that is the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sir, and we would see Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.